Early Childhood Development. Each week we talk about a different stage of children development and what children need. And now, here comes your host. Hello everybody and welcome. My name is Taryn and you are listening to The Parent Thing. About eight weeks ago, I contacted Marion Makepeace to ask her if she would come onto the podcast to talk about the inner child. I sent her a little briefing and she was like, no, 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 we can't get straight into this. I've got a lot else to say. So that's where the series began. We did seven weeks of talking about how the factory settings, as she calls it, influences an inner child and an inner parent. So we have reached week eight, which is the end of our series, and she is finally going to answer the questions I asked her eight weeks ago. Welcome back, Marion. Hi, Taryn. Thank you so much for having me back. And um, yes, I'm sorry it's taken so long for us to get (laughs) here, but I'm hoping that finally I can give you the answers to your questions, even if it has taken a very long road to get here. But I did think that that background information is crucial, especially all the impacts of the negative parenting, because if you understand that, you understand the summary version that we're getting get to now. And that's the foundation of the work that I do. Anyway, so yes, I can finally give you a proper answer. Awesome. So let's get into the big question. What is an inner child, Marion? And does everyone have one? So I'm going to answer your second question first. And the answer is yes, everyone, absolutely everyone has an inner child. In fact, to an extent, we're born with one. And in fact, by the time we're an adult, we have usually more than one inner child. In fact, we have a kind of inner family. But the inner child is probably the best description is to say that it's the label that we give to what can best be described as our internal experience system. So it's a part of our subconscious and it holds our emotions, our memories, our beliefs from the past, as well as our hopes and dreams for the future and some assumptions, interpretations and responses to what we've learned from those or what we've arrived at from the experiences. So we come in when we're born with just one little kind of seedling baby part of ourselves, which is what we talk about as the free child, which is that part of us that is filled with curiosity and wonder and creativity and innocence and so forth. And then the rest gets installed by how we are parented. And that doesn't only mean our biological parents but whoever is raising the child the adapted child becomes installed when we are parented and modified by other parenting influences because other people involved in raising a child are people like school teachers your peer group in society as a grower so it contains our means of perceiving and responding to life as it happens Now, the important thing to remember and the reason why we went on such a long road explanation is that that child inside has been picking up messages from way before it was mentally or emotionally able to accurately process what's going on. And in theory, about 
the different people have different percentages, but at least 60% and probably as much as 80% of that child inside is formed by the time we're seven years old. And by at that age, we don't really have deductive reasoning capacity in surface. So we make assumptions and come to conclusions about life when we're still very, very young that are still controlling us today as adults, unless we've done something about it. Does that make sense? It does. It makes absolute sense. I was introduced to the concept of an inner child by you and recognizing and connecting with and all of that. And initially I thought this is like all like pie in the sky, airy flary, not a concrete concept. And my mind works with concrete. And so it took a while for me to actually grasp the concept, understand the concept and see that it is actually extremely concrete And it's changed everything because I'm now aware of my inner child, um, especially the little one. I connect with the little one a lot easier than I do. There's a teenager in there that I'm terrified to connect with, actually. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Uh, How do we help listeners recognize and connect with an inner child or inner children? Let's start with recognizing. So we can recognize our inner child in action through how we respond to life. It's the child inside us that is actually responding to life. It contains, as I said, our curiosity, wonder, creativity, delight, and so forth. But it also contains our responses such as fear, shame, rage, embarrassment, sorrow, whatever. We might recognize, for example, you talked about your little one, that at different times, the different aspect of this inner child can appear. Sometimes it's that prepubescent child, the most common one for most people. But sometimes it can be the baby. Sometimes it can be a teenager, depending on the circumstances. And those inner children actually represent the different needs and perceptions of the different phases of childhood. And in any moment, you're going to have one aspect usually that's more dominant. So let's say, for example, that basic desire for comfort and nurturing tend to be the the baby. So, for example, like if you're cold and you feel a need to be warm, you feel cold and want comfort, which is effectively what warming you up is, right? That's the baby. You're actually responding from an inner child which says, somebody make me warm. Mm. But most of the time, it will be um, feeling excited about this trip we're going to have. That's the prepubescent child. Or I'm feeling anxious about an interview that I'm going to have to deal with. That's your prepubescent child. And so sometimes you can feel gawky. So, for example, or rebellious or whatever, which will more usually be a teenager. And things like shame and self-blame tend to be that prepubescent child. Mm -hmm. The focus is different and the needs are different. So basically, you can experience life. We do experience life through the child inside because that's the aspect of us that contains our responses, our reactions, our feelings as life happens to us. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. We've been talking about the transactional analysis model over the past Mm -hmm. seven weeks. And we spoke about the parent ego state, the child ego state, and the adult ego state. So we've now discovered that we have inner children. Would you say that we have inner parents as well? Yes, and that's the whole point. And again, we talk about the inner parent in the same way that we talk about the inner child, right? And it's another part 
of our inner guidance system. And again, there's more than one. We talk about our inner parent system in the same way that we talk about our inner child system. And the inner parent system is the guidance system. It's the thing that interprets and manages life. It's again, as I said, that subconscious part. This time it's the guidance system. And it replays the messages from our childhood that shape both how we see the world, how the world is interpreted, and tells us what's okay and what isn't okay, and how to do things. And it forms our perception of ourselves. A child has no objective perception of themselves. It, it isn't possible. Their primary caregivers, their parents, the people in that child-rearing role are that mirror. They are the reflection that, in which the child sees themselves. So the messages that they get back from the parenting environment are what reinforce certain perceptions and beliefs about themselves. Some mirrors make you look skinny <laughs> and pretty and other mirrors, I mean, you've been to the fun fair and you've seen those those different crazy mirrors that make you right. Essentially, your parenting is that mirror that reflects back to you and helps to form your opinion of yourself. But it also contains our understanding of how the world works and how to survive and function in that world. So that's why I say it runs our guidance system. And our parenting lays down those factory settings for how the world operates. So for example, our parents raise us to function in the society in which we are. If you move societies, your garden system stops working properly because it's not tuned for the environment. So, for example, uh, I have a couple of clients I work with who were raised in one culture who are now living in another. And they're often a little bit lost because the garden system that they were given, trained to their parents, by their parents to operate from doesn't fit with that society. And it takes a lot of work for them to recalibrate their guidance system. First, to recognize that their guidance system isn't working. And secondly, what to do instead. Because this is all pretty much autopilot. It's the, the operating system, if you mm. like. So in your computer, you can't walk up to your computer and go, your operating system's not working, change it, because the computer doesn't know how to change it. It needs additional information. So your factory settings, and that's why I talk about it as that, is what your parents have understood and passed on to you to function in the world. You say that a child, which is absolutely true, doesn't have an objective way of coming up with their own self-concept. It's what's given. It's the input they get from their primary caregivers. You get critical parents and you get loving parents. Would you say that there's a critical inner parent and a loving inner parent? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that critical inner parent is the one that has those distorted mirrors at the fun fair that I was talking about. That's the one that carries and replays the negative stuff like shaming and blaming and criticizing and controlling those messages from our childhood. The critical parent is kind of the label that we use to identify the dysfunctional messages that we got and the unhealthy responses we learned. And we now unconsciously and automatically use to interpret and respond to life. And the loving parent is the part that contains the positive, loving, affirming, nurturing, encouraging messages that we got. Because, hey, nobody's parents are all bad or all good. You're going to get a combination. It's just the balance, right? Right. So that 
loving in a parent is the label we use to identify those healthy responses that we learned to use to interpret and to react, respond, interact with life. Yeah, the, the, you can split the parenting into those aspects. And I mean, you can break it down as I did when we went through all the stages into more detail. The, the, the parenting can be a, 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 a negative nurturing or negative controlling parent or guiding as you used to prefer to refer to. And mm-hmm. you can have a loving nurturing parent and a loving guiding parent. So you can break this down in the same way that you can break down the inner child, but it's kind of a group label, if you like, to describe these aspects of our internal operating system. How can we recognize and be aware of which inner parent is controlling our experiences? Oh boy. Well, it's really simple. Whichever parent is driving the bus at the time, in other words, which parent is in charge, depends on what the balance was in our childhood experience, how much healthy versus unhealthy parenting, as I was just talking about now, how much we got. In other words, what's the ratio? And of course, obviously, how much work since then we've done to rewrite our factory settings if they weren't the no, they weren't optimal if they were dysfunctional. So how can you tell who's in charge? If our responses towards ourselves tend to be critical or shaming or blaming or controlling, and they leave the child inside feeling ashamed, miserable, scared, whatever, you can assume okay, so that the parent is in charge. That's like we make a mistake at work or we make a mistake at home and you say, oh, I'm such an idiot or I'm yep. so stupid or how could I be so dumb or would, yep. that would be the critical in appearance and it feels and 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 you feel stupid ashamed belittled incompetent etc but if we've got a loving parent in charge in charge right the response tends to be encouraging and comforting it's usually that loving parent that's in charge when that's happening so that voice would rather sound like oh okay you're disappointed that what happened wasn't ideal but you couldn't have known you but you've learned something useful and you'll know better for next time it's okay, sweetheart, you can do this. That you can be pretty sure is the loving parent. It's how you would talk to a child who was struggling or mm. had made a mistake or something, right? So the voice that leaves you feeling comforted, encouraged, reassured, and so forth. But it's not only the, the voices. For example, it's also the part of you, that loving parent, that goes and puts something warmer on, puts a blanket on you, goes and gets something you know a jumper or whatever to put on you to keep you warm it's the part of you that is nurturing the part of you that is guiding you to do the healthy things that's encouraging you that's comforting you that's it's those things now I know if I can say this people as you said Taryn they find the idea of this whole inner family very kind of out there and off the wall but actually this has been psychological theory for a very long time i just like transactional analysis because it's such a good version to map this but almost every psychology theory relates to these concepts of inner personas and as you discovered there are definitely voices in your head and they are aspects of the self. They are subconscious aspects that are actually 
our operating system. That's basically what you're dealing with. And it's whose voices are you listening to? Whose voices are the dominant forces in what's driving your responses to life? Uh, but that's your, that's something that you can become a, a bit more aware of. So how do we become more aware of this inner family, as you just called it, the inner children, the inner parents, you in there somewhere? How, how do we become more aware of and more mindful of, I guess? Well, mindfulness is the key. And again, you know, most psychology disciplines in this day and age um, teach mindfulness. And certainly as a coach, I teach it. It's one of the best ways to figure this out. So stop, just stop and notice you're feeling and see if your self-talk is loving or critical and if you want to intensify that awareness when you stop you can put your hands on your chest just above your heart and close your eyes for a few moments and literally take stock just stop and check the, the temperature your the landscape if you like just feel notice some people are visual some people are verbal some people are kinesthetic. So you just check, you just go through your senses. What am I feeling? What am, what am I kind of, what's my temperature inside? Are you feeling anxious, upset, lonely, ashamed, inadequate? Or are you optimistic, encouraged, content, grateful? Which flavor? And if it's not a happy state, you can pretty much bet the critical parent is busy. You might even then start to hear what, what are the noises? What are the voices? What are the messages? Because you can picture it like this. There is the critical, there are the parents and the child. And you can, if you stop, you can actually see, feel, experience the interaction. There's somebody in you wagging a finger, shouting at you, shaming, blaming, whatever. And then there's the part of you, the little part of you going, oh, oh my goodness, and reacting to that voice. And all of this is going on at a subconscious level. But also there will be a voice in there encouraging you and so forth, and there'll be the little one in there feeling excited, enthusiastic, or comforted, or whatever. Just stop, take the time, and notice what's happening. And as you know, it sounded very strange when I started teaching you how to do this, but it really does work. With time, you do become aware of the messages the one part of you is telling another part of you about what's going on and how you are and who you are and so forth. These voices are our factory settings, right? The stuff that we just spent the last seven weeks speaking about. And 90% of who we are is driven by that subconscious. It's driven by those voices. It's driven by those factory settings. What are some triggers or cues? Because it's very difficult to be mindful when you are running on autopilot. So what are some triggers and some cues or some ways that people can learn to recognize those, especially the critical voices, because so often it's just accepted because that's our factory setting. The first thing, that mindfulness is where you have to start. The first thing is stop, notice. You can do nothing. You have to become conscious in order to know what needs to be changed. So step one is the noticing. And to notice, you need to stop. So that little process that I'm talking about, you can do it a hundred times in the day if you need to. And in the beginning, it is what it takes. But it, for most people, they become conscious of this quite quickly once their awareness has been raised. So step one would be stop and notice. And then if it's negative, challenge the validity. In other words, is that true? What evidence is there for this assumption? 
what other interpretations could there be? And I had a client of mine recently who was starting, because of the work that we've been doing, she's been on particularly nasty medication and that makes her put on an enormous amount of weight which creates another whole crisis and which also makes her very forgetful. And she feels like she's losing her relationship with her family because she keeps forgetting everything. So as we've been working together, she stopped taking the medication and she didn't tell me and she cold turkeyed on it and the wheels came off. Now it got quite bad and she really wasn't well. And she started in on herself. I could actually almost hear the voices when I was talking to her. I don't understand how I could have been so unbelievably stupid. I should have told you. I shouldn't have done it. And she was berating herself. I could hear that critical parent wagging a finger. And I could hear while she was talking, there were tears pouring down her face. She was shaking and sobbing and berating herself at the same time. I mean, there was your classic scenario of a critical parent in full flight and that beaten up little child inside. And I went, whoa, stop. I helped her to understand that actually this had been an excited response to a positive change. And that actually, whilst it was perhaps a less than ideal thing that she had done, it was coming from a place of optimism. And that actually, in time, she probably could come off that medication, but not cold turkey like she did. So the intention was good in response to something positive. It wasn't a disaster. And I said to her, would you talk to your daughter if she'd done something like that, the way you're talking to yourself? And she went, goodness, no. And I went, so why are you talking to yourself like that? How can you be so mean to yourself but would never do that to your own daughter? Recognizing that there is a different interpretation and that maybe you did make a mistake, but it wasn't intentional and so forth, is a much more loving and encouraging. So silence the critic, enough of that finger-wagging, berating, shaming, raging voice, and replace it with a more loving approach. Most of us, as I said, can do this for other people. They will be encouraging and so forth, but they won't do it to themselves. They won't be mm. kind and caring. And then make a promise to yourself that you're never going to talk worse to your child inside or allow any of the parenting voices in your side, in your head to talk to your child inside any worse than you'd ever talk to anyone else. Because most of us would never speak to other people the way that we speak to our child inside. We would never, ever do that. You know, it's important to remember that your inner parent is the one person your child inside can never escape, never. So you can run away from other people and you can run away from horrible jobs and horrible bosses and horrible partners and whatever, but you can't run away when it's inside you. So, and in fact, people do try. That's often what drives them to drink and drugs and who knows what else, because they're actually trying to escape their own voices. So what you need instead is to find a way to get the loving parent driving the bus, encouraging them and so forth. How do we make sure that it's the loving inner parent that's a more healthier approach to dealing with ourselves that's driving the bus? Well, to be honest, Taryn, that is the work that I do. And it's such an important thing. But essentially, as I said, it starts with the mindfulness, the stopping, the noticing, recognizing whether that's a positive or negative voice that you're listening to, and consciously replacing it. Now, sometimes we don't even know what the alternatives are. 
we've been running on this particular version for so long, we think it's normal. But often we would not say that to someone else. And we certainly wouldn't say it to the children that we have in love or the partner that we have in love, okay? So if you are talking differently to other people then you're talking to your child inside, and it's possible to stop, notice, and compare, then you know you already have a loving parent voice there. And you just need to turn that loving voice inwards towards yourself as well. Yourself. But if you don't have an alternative, and sometimes there isn't one, and you do talk to other people just as nasty, then we need some retraining. We need to find ways to reframe that experience. And as I said, that is really the work that I'm doing. So people can come and see you to help deal with the critical inner voices and just learn how to make healthier choices for themselves. Yeah, to modify those factory settings to something that's more constructive and productive and positive. Right. Is there any other resources, videos, literature, or anything else that they could look up on as well? Uh, Look, there's an avalanche of stuff on the internet these days, um, but often it's difficult to tailor it to yourself specifically without some outside guidance, which is why I'm not short of work. But there is plenty that is useful. So if you want to know parenting in the context of the TM model, bearing in mind that we're talking to parents here, then yeah, that Growing Up Again, Reparenting Ourselves, Parenting Our Children book by Clark and Dawson, you can find that on Amazon. And, and it's worthwhile to do that. I think some basic understanding is, is quite useful, especially if you are a parent, because you will pass on to your children anything that you have that's unresolved. That's almost a guarantee, because your parents are your model for parenting unless you've rewritten some of those factory settings. So when we started this session today, I talked about the fact that our child inside has conclusions about life and itself based on how we were parented, unless you've done work on those factory settings. So there are many different ways to do that. So if you want to find a way, yeah, read, research. If you've got a problem, if you recognize that you've got a problem, go and get some help. Because the best thing you can do to make sure you raise your children in a healthy way is to make sure that you're a healthy person yourself. You can't give them what you don't have. And so making sure that your inner landscape is happier and healthier is one of the greatest gifts you can give your children. And so I would strongly encourage you. And as I said, you know, I'm sure it's here to help, but there are many other places and resources that can help people to find ways to deal with this stuff. But it helps to know what the question is before you start looking for the answers. So listeners who would want to get in contact with you to get the help that they need after listening to the series and realizing that there is help that's needed, how can they get hold of you? I have a Facebook page, um, Make Peace Integrated Wellbeing Coaching, makepeacecoaching.com. And you can contact me via email at marian or makepeace at gmail.com. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for the last eight weeks, for the commitment you've made and for showing up and for giving all this valuable information I am so grateful for you and really grateful that you've done this with me. Taryn, you know that this stuff is an area of really passionate interest. Yeah, I really care about this stuff. And, you know, 
I think the greatest gift we can give this bowl is anything that helps parents. As I've said before, it is the most responsible job we ever have to do in our lives and the one for which we have the least amount of training. And so right. I, I always want to appreciate parents who are trying to do better. And ideally, the world is a better place when we have happy children because they become happy, sane, rational adults. So I hope that this long road has been very useful and breaking down how things can go wrong and ideally what we should be doing instead has been something that can give parents a heads up to recognize if they themselves are carrying less than ideal messages from their own that need to be resolved, as well as what to do for their kids going forward. And the kids include that child inside, which, as I said, is my area of absolute passion. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. Thanks again, Marion. And that, listeners, is how we have reached and concluded the road to the inner child. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, Marion. Thanks. Bye now. Thank you for tuning into the Parenting. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, feedback, or content suggestions, please email us at taren at theparenting.com. Please remember to subscribe, like, share, and give my Aunt a five-star rating. Come back.